Morning. The scripture reading comes from Matthew 9, 18 to 31. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this, vent, um, of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows, knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are wrapping up our series today on Together Again. And interestingly enough, this is actually the first sermon in that series. You see, whenever we were thinking about and I started praying about this series, I was in the midst of reading a book, and that book gave me the idea for this series. And I really thought that we would be talking about um, what it means for us to come together again after we've been in this pandemic, and still are. And what it would look like for us to actually work on our social muscles again. What it would be to not look at people with suspicion and to actually reach out and maybe shake a hand and not just touch an elbow or actually embrace one another. And I thought that possibly by this time or whatever time it was that we would be back together, that we would have worn out those social muscles and we would need to build them back up. Little did I know that there was all sorts of other things that were going to happen in the world and it would cause us to say, well, wait a minute, maybe we need to look a little bit deeper than just what it means to have Jesus reclaim touch for us. So this is the first sermon in the series that we're now completing. Does that make sense? It doesn't to me. God makes weird things happen and our plans are not his plans. So that's the sermon for me today. <laughs> I might plan something out and think it's going to go one way and God will do something else. The name of this book that kind of is informing this sermon is called Handle with Care. And it's how Jesus redeems the power of touch in life and ministry. The author is Lori Ferguson Wilbert. And I, I will use some of her illustrations. And there's a chapter that she talks about this passage in particular. But before we begin, because I'm talking about touch, I need to make two caveats. The first one is this. If you've spent any time with me, 
you know that I am a person who is touchy. Now, that doesn't mean that I am offended, easily offended. As a matter of fact, I'm rarely offended, if ever, and tend to be more offensive towards people than I should be. But I like to hug. I like to shake hands. I like to kiss on the cheek. Uh, I, I grew up that way. My life was filled with people who had good, holy touch. My dad is a person who would always make sure that for the longest time and even to this day will kiss me on the lips as a greeting when he sees me. I know for some of you that would completely and utterly freak you out. You're thinking right now you, you might not ever want to meet my father because he might kiss you as well. Not on the lips, he's courteous enough to recognize that that's a step too far for many people. As I was growing up, I remember always sitting in my mom's lap. And then when I became too big to sit in my mom's lap, there were times in my life where I knew that I needed to have my mom hold me and she wasn't able to do that anymore just because I was much bigger than she was. And so I asked my mom to sit on my lap. So I need to say, when I talk about touch... I'm coming from a place that I really was groomed in a way by God and his goodness to want to touch, that I didn't experience a bad form of abusive touch. I was always welcomed. And so you'll recognize that in a lot of ways, I'm okay with you hugging me right now if you want to. I also need to say not everybody grew up with that. If statistics are true, the majority of you have experienced in some form or fashion in your life touch that was abusive. Touch that broke you in your personhood, in your agency and who in God created you to be. There are those of you that are here who have experienced touch in a way that now, because of that, there is no way that you feel you can reconcile anything that would possibly be good or holy about touch. And it would really be wrong for us to just kind of brush that under and say, no, 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 God reclaims touch for us. And so I want to say to you right now that Holy Spirit can calm you, can walk with you in healing. But if you are in that place and, and at the, any moment during this sermon that you begin to feel overcome, we're not going to look at you if you need to leave. We're not going to judge you if you need to remove yourself from this situation at this moment. If anything, it will be a good reminder for us to love you well, to walk with you well. And if you're here and, and you're able to recognize that there's some brokenness in your life because there's brokenness in all of our lives and you want to talk to somebody about that, please reach out to us. We can help guide you if you need better and more professional 
help to walk with you in that. We'll even provide means and methods for you to accomplish that if you aren't in a place that you can do that. And so before we go any further, if you would just allow me to ask the Holy Spirit to bring Christ down into our lives in such a way that he can start the healing process or continue the healing process as we talk about the power of touch. Father, none of us are removed, even me in the blessing of the family I grew up in is removed from having someone in our life that has been affected tragically by wrong and abusive and sinful evil touch. And so, Father, we know that there are those who are here that have that, that are walking with that, that are struggling. And so, Holy Spirit, right now we ask that you would rain down a flood of mercy and peace and grace. That they will hear you testifying to them that they are created in the image of God. That they are God's children who are deeply loved. That his steadfast loving pursuit is for them to bring them back into wholeness. Wholeness of who you created them to be before the foundation of the world. And Father, we acknowledge the brokenness and sinfulness of the world. We acknowledge that there are those who have evil means and methods of walking in relationship with people. And so, Father, we ask that you convict and you end that. We ask for your justice to roll down like water. But Father, most of all, we ask for healing. Father, we ask that you will bring those who are broken into a place of healing, of wholeness that can only be found in you. And Father, we ask that we will recognize the power of your touch and how you have given it to us to lead with godly, loving touch. It's in your name, Jesus who makes this possible, we pray. Amen. So we come to this passage, and here's Jesus, and he's walking along, and he's with his disciples, and he's with other people. He's just called out uh, Matthew uh, just right before this, and so Matthew is joining him and walking with him. And there's those who are around and say, why did you call him? He's a tax collector. And this is Jesus' answer to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician. And those who are sick, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners or the broken. He then is walking and someone comes up to him. We see four interactions with people here that take place. The first one is the ruler. Now in the Luke telling of this story, we see that it's Jairus who is um, an official in the synagogue. So he's probably a Pharisee, someone who is very much about the law and the extra law and the extra law and the extra law and the extra law. Then we hear about his daughter who has passed away. And then as Jesus is walking, we have this encounter with a woman who has suffered an ailment for 12 years. 
And then after that, we have those two blind men. Now, Lori, in her book, uh, breaks those folks out and gives them a, a sort of an identification. Jairus is the legalist, and there are those of us who are legalists, who have law upon law upon law upon law that we walk with, and we've talked about that. Then there is also then the unclean, which is the woman who has the issue that she's had for 12 years. And then he talks about those who are uh, the child. She says the child is there. And last, the skeptic, meaning the two blind guys who can't see that that would represent the skeptic. And those are good because she's trying to make a point that God deals with all sorts of types of people. But I think the one thing that we recognize first in this is that we recognize that we are bodies. Each one of those people had an ailment because of their body, their physical being, who they were. And I think sometimes we as those who are following Christ can be accused of only thinking about the spiritual things, only thinking about the mystic, mystical things, only thinking about the things that are to come or beyond. And we lose sight sometimes that we, in fact, are matter. Physical properties that take up space in a physical world. And so as we see these blind men and this dead little girl and this woman who's been suffering and this legalist man who is longing to have his daughter brought back to life, the first thing that we see is they are bodies. And it is a good reminder for us that we actually have physical being and presence, that things that happen to us physically affect us in ways. And so for me, both good and bad, growing up in a place where I was loved with hugs and kisses and sitting on laps and my dad watching sport on Saturday and me laying literally on top of him on the couch as a little boy as he watched sport. It gave me an assurance that I was deeply loved, sometimes badly, in the fact that I thought I was by far the most important thing in the world. because I'm human and my heart's turned towards itself and I'm corruptible. And of course, I thought, well, if my parents love me this much, then everybody must love me this much because I'm just that great. But I also know those who've experienced tragic touch, those who've experienced evil touch, what it does is physically affect you and cause you to move away, cause you to not recognize and say, maybe this isn't who I'm supposed to be, that this body, in fact, is evil, and it drew that to me. When we sneeze, now everybody looks at us as afraid we have COVID, but when we sneeze, it shows that our bodies wear down. If you're talking to me and I accidentally slip off into a nanny nap, it is because my body has worn down. We are physical beings and there are things that happen to us. And so spiritual things, emotional things, mental things, all of those things affect our physical body. And it's good for us to recognize that we are there. We are here and we are people that are of matter. Why is that important? Because it puts us in a place of understanding that our interactions with one another are more than just mental ascents of some illusion. 
It puts us in a place where we recognize me bumping against you and you bumping against me, us rubbing skin on skin affects us deeply. And so it challenges us to make sure that when we approach those who are both familiar to us and those who are strangers with us, that when we get to the place where we are in close proximity, that everything we do will affect the other one in all aspects of their lives. So it's beautiful for us to recognize that God in creating us, he brought dust about and he blew his breath of life into us and so we have physical bodies that God wants to redeem at this time and this place for this moment. The second thing that's good for us to recognize is Jesus is here in this passage as a physical body. See, the ruler comes up to him and he says, can you touch my daughter? If you would just touch my daughter. That means Jesus was not some ghost walking around, some mystical apparition that people saw in their minds but wasn't really there, that he was a physical being, that he himself had matter, that this is the God of the universe, the God who is steadfast in his loving pursuit of us, who said, yes, the best way to do this is for me to take on flesh and become a body. Not only that, we see the woman who says, if I can just touch his robe, he wore clothes, thank goodness. And then he reaches down and he touches this little girl and pulls her up. And when he heals the blind man, he uses his hands and he touches their eyes. It's good for us to recognize that Jesus himself had body, that this is the incarnation, this most foundational belief for those of us who are in Christ, that it wasn't just a dream, it wasn't just mystical, but it was real that God became flesh so that he experienced all that we experience. He knows how the body wears out. He knows how the body gets sick. He knows how the body affects our mental understanding. He knows how our body bodies react. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be hurt and to be crushed. And so he walks with us, but he doesn't just walk beside us coldly. He walks beside us with his touch. Now, definitely, as we look at these groups of people, Lori's understanding and categories of them are helpful for us. Most certainly, she reminds us that in our midst, there are those who are skeptical and blind and can't see what God is doing. Oftentimes, we say here, maybe even every Sunday, that this is a place you can belong before you believe. Now, that's not just a straight line continuum. That's a circle because we hope that you belong with us for a while, but that you will believe. And that as you believe in what Jesus is, who he is, and what he does, that you will become part of the church, that you will be brought into his body, that you will be part of this family, and then you will move to being that out in the world. But we don't light it up like, okay, you've belonged, and now you believe, and now you've become, and now you'll be. 
We look at it as a circle because we understand that there are times where even while we are being the church to one another and to the world, being Christ's body to the church and to one another and to the world, that we move to a place again of just needing to belong because we have unbelief. So we blind ourselves, sometimes willingly, because we just don't want to know the truth of God's word. Sometimes because it's not time for us to see it. Because if we saw that truth, it might wreck us and undo us in a way that God knows in his good graciousness we don't need at this moment. And sometimes it happens to us. Sometimes it happens to us because it's somebody in our life that has touched us in a way that closes us off from seeing God's mercy. And so sometimes we're skeptics. Sometimes we're all the unclean. We're those who have issues in our lives that cause us to be untouchable. Lori puts it this way. Into the doors of our church, into this gathering, will walk all kinds of people. And most, if not all of us, will feel our uncleanliness. We will feel the stain of our sin, the division between us and God, the fracture between us and other people. We might not even have words for sin or conviction, but we know the brokenness of being other than, of being different, outcast, or unloved. Even the most physically beautiful or athletic, the most put together or intelligent will still feel at their core unworthy, unseen, unloved, and overlooked. Every human suffers from an issue of blood, not just in the bloodline in our own stories, but the bloodline of all humanity that began at the fall, sin. And like the woman in this gospel narrative, we shroud ourselves, cover ourselves up in whatever we cover our blemishes with, trying to hide our true selves. We know if people really knew who we were, they would not want nothing to do with us. Somebody posted on Facebook, and particularly about my passport country, sadly. You all are out here complaining about wearing masks to go to church when you've been wearing masks to go to church all along. Pithy, cutting, true. If we recognize that we are physical beings, then we recognize that we will have brokenness. And in recognizing our brokenness, our sinful desire is to cover that up so that people don't know that there's something wrong with us. You see, the woman here, she had to cover herself up because as soon as she got seen by somebody who knew who she was, she would have been the outcast again. They would have maybe even tried to move her on because she's not supposed to be there. See, the issue is that she's been bleeding and blood at this time was not seen as anything that should be dealt with in public. It actually needed to be pushed aside. And so she at that time had lived 12 years spending all her money trying to find healing and not having relationship with anybody. And she says, maybe if I just touch the robe, that physical grabbing hold. But she covers herself up, and we do that as well. And so if we're going to allow God to redeem touch for us, we first have to stop moving ourselves out of the physical. We have to put ourselves in the physical so that we recognize our brokenness. Because in recognizing our brokenness, then God will heal us 
and move us to a place of understanding. So we see that we're physical beings, that Jesus himself is physical, and that there is a power that comes from touch. We need to be reminded of this fact, that the nearness of God in our hard moments, and as much of that, much of that comes to our life on this earth through other human beings who draw near to us. That we are called in a way to wrap each other up at the level of comfort of those that we are trying to walk with. Who is capable to walk that path? None of us without Holy Spirit guiding us, transforming us, changing our hearts. Lori, in this book, she tells her testimony. And I think it's telling for us. She said, God in his great mercy led me to the end of myself one night after a few years of denying my doubt in him and in his goodness and finally in his existence. I was able to admit to him, in parentheses, the irony is not lost on me that I'm speaking to the one I don't think exists. I don't believe you exist. And if you do exist, I don't believe you're good. And if you are good, I don't believe you're good to me. And I won't serve a God like that anymore. I rose from my snot-soaked carpet where I had been laying and felt a freedom unlike I had ever felt before. I was the opposite of a Christian at this point, and my honesty before God was one major thing that led to my eventual salvation. I had to go through the confession of where I really was with God before I could get to where I'd eventually end up. Then she says this. God loves it when we're honest about our own ability, inability to heal ourselves and others. Because truth be told, though we can certainly minister to others with our touch in meaningful ways, only he can touch the broken vessel in miraculous ways. Only he can heal issues of blood from generations past. Only he can touch that which is too vulnerable and tender to touch. Only he can heal our blindness through honesty. Only he can heal our legalism through the gift of humility. But here's the thing. He uses his people on earth as an expression of his healing. He uses our hands and our feet and our bodies and our hugs. He uses the hand on the shoulder of a brother at church and a squeeze to say, I'm here and I see you. He uses the shoulders of strangers touching in the row in the chapel and saying, you are not alone. He uses the hands laid on toddlers and babies and little ones in prayer to say, you are so small now, but God is with you. He uses the touch of unclean people to remind us of how unclean we are and would be without the robe of His grace. He uses the touch of those around us to show us that God is a good shepherd who leads us by His own hand. He uses all of our good and godly touch to reveal just how wide His mercy is and how good His love is. And so what we recognize in this place of Jesus being a physical body is that he doesn't stay that way. 
that Jesus himself took that physical body and he put it on the cross to be the salvation that we need to reclaim and re, uh, uh, redeem touch among us. That there's no longer hostility. You'll remember that we talked about that between us because of what God has done. And he doesn't stay human. He dies and he raises from the dead and he ascends into heaven. But before he did that, we have this great story of Thomas. We call him Doubting. Because he says to the other disciples who got to see Jesus before him, well, until I see it for myself and put my hands in his fingers, in his, in, in, put my finger in his hands, put my hand in his side, then, then I won't believe that he truly rose from the dead. Now here's the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't come in to Thomas and say, believe me now, you see me. He comes in and he says, Thomas, touch my hand. Thomas, put your hand in my side. Touch me physically. Know me physically. That I am matter within matter. It is a reminder to us that then Christ gives us who are in Christ the power to be that to others. No, no, we can't have the miraculous healing that Jesus had. We can't bring people to completion the way that Jesus does and is doing. But we are those who walk in Christ in order to love and to touch and to bring in and to hold. Who possibly, if you are here in doubt of whether this Jesus is true, you need to know that he is. And maybe the only way is for you to be grabbed by a big, bald American pastor. Or your friend that invited you here. Or your parents who have been praying for you. Or your son or daughter who care for you. To remind you that God is present even at this moment. Not far away not from a distance, but right here. Years ago, anthropologist Margaret Mead was asked by a student. Before I go on, let me just say, sometimes you get things after you've prepared a sermon and then it comes up on Facebook in the morning, shared by somebody who deeply needed it to somebody else who deeply needed it. And you say, hey, can you print that off for me? Because that's the way that I'll close my sermon instead of the way that I was going to. Years ago, Anthropologist Margaret Mead was asked by a student what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in a culture. The student expected Mead to talk about fish hooks or clay pots or grinding stones. But no, Mead said that the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a femur or a thigh bone that had been broken and then healed. Mead explained that in an animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger, get to the river for a drink, or hunt for food. You are meat for other prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for the bone to heal. A broken femur that has been healed is evidence that someone has taken time to stay with the one who fell, has bound up the wound, has carried the person to safety, and has tended the person through recovery. Helping someone else 
through difficulty is where civilization starts, Pete said. Walking with people, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, is a sign of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the healing salve that is beyond civilization. It is the thing that brings us into the kingdom of God so that we can be together again for all time. Let me pray. Father, you are good, and all you do is good. Father, we ask again for healing. We ask again for mercy. We ask again for revelation. We ask again for testimony to be given to those of us who are broken, who forget that we are your children. Holy Spirit, pour that out in your great mercy and love. Jesus, let us know that you are our brother who has brought us into this family, that we are actually in you, our identity rests in you, that there is nothing else that will define who we are. Yes, it informs who we are, but it doesn't define who we are because we are defined by who you are and what you have done and your steadfast love for us. Father, let us be wise in how we interact with one another, both with our words and with our bodies. Let us move to a place of pure, godly, holy touch so that you can bring healing and wholeness. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and respond by singing.